One of the big complaints amongst Americans is that Osama bin Laden got away. Remember Tora Bora and suddenly he's there and he's not there and he's always making these bad videos about oh, I'm going to kill more of you and ha 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 you can't get me. I always thought you just should follow the electrical cord to his dialysis machine and you'd find him. Well, an American armed with a pistol and a 40-inch sword was detained in northern Pakistan recently. He told investigators he was on a solo mission to kill Osama bin Laden. Okay, the man was identified as a 52-year-old California construction worker. Guy's name is Gary Faulkner. No relationship to the great writer, mm. I think. He was picked up in a forest in the Chitral region. The police initially laughed when he told them that he wanted to kill Osama bin Laden, but when the officer seized the pistol, the sword, and the night vision equipment, their suspicions began to grow. So, questioned by the intelligence officers later in Peshawar, that must have been a lot of fun. That's the main northwestern city in that part of the stand. Yeah. Faulkner told police he visited Pakistan. He, Pakistan. Pakistan. Oh, my golly. Hmm. What am I thinking? He visited Pakistan seven times, right? And uh, and this was his third trip to Chitral. So he's been there seven times trying to find the man. And Chitral is a remote mountainous region in the Afghan border. It is one of several rumored hiding places for the al-Qaeda leader. No, exactly. Was he? Did he? Was he following the electrical cord? I don't know. He had night vision glasses, a forty-inch sword, and a pistol. He's an American, a Californian. Do you think he stood out? Gee, I wouldn't reckon. He wasn't. It wasn't like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. He wasn't dressed in the usual, you know, cover me up garments to no. travel in Eastern nations. No, no? I, th- I think he was Faulkner of Sacramento. Uh, This is from Robert Reich, who is a former Secretary of Labor. He's uh, teaching economics now in Berkeley, and he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, Retail sales in May, we've just discovered, took their biggest nosedive in eight months, and consumers account, of course, for 70% of the nation's economic activity. So all of a sudden, they're spending less. They've been spending less relatively for a long time, ever since the housing bubble burst, but now they're spending even less of the less. American corporations, on the, other, on the other hand, are sitting on huge piles of cash, but they're not investing, and they're creating only a measly number of new jobs. They're actually not keeping up with the growth of the, of the labor force, of the potential labor force. We are literally losing jobs as I speak. And they won't invest, these are the corporations, and create jobs until they know there are customers out there to buy what they sell. That sounds to me like kind of a vicious circle. We're not going to hire people until there's people out there to buy our goods, but because they don't have jobs, they can't buy our goods. For three decades, starting in the late 1970s, the biggest economic problems America faced was inflation. Demand always seemed to be on verge of outrunning the productive capacity. The Fed had to be ready to raise interest rates at a moment's notice. And during this era of inflation economics, it appeared that John Maynard Keynes and his Depression-era concern about chronic inadequate demand was dead. Keynes was the guy that said we got to pump prime the economy when there's low demand, i.e. during the Great Depression of 1932. This is not the Great Depression. We are a marketing society. This is the Greater Depression. And someday we'll have the Greatest Depression. The so-called supply-siders told policymakers that if they cut taxes on corporations and the wealthy, they'd unleash a torrent of investment and innovation, thereby increasing the productive capacity of the nation. So you have Keynes saying, pump money in, and you've got the Reagan supply-siders with their so-called laugher curve, and it's a laugher, saying all you got to do is like just cut taxes. 
taxes and give the wealthy more and more money, and they'll invest it in productivity. Well, they didn't. They invested it in yachts and and gold, you know, and anorexic mistresses. But the pendulum may now be swinging back to the earlier era in which demand always seems on the verge of trailing the nation's productive capacity. The biggest ongoing threats are chronic recession or even deflation. We're in the midst of a deflation because consumers don't have enough money to buy what the economy is capable of selling at full or near employment. Despite gains in productivity, little has trickled down to America's middle class. Well, one of the reasons is they define productivity as we keep the door open here at Sprint, and we're using half the people. That's productivity. No, that's crazy-ass thinking. A row of bottles on my shelf caused me to analyze myself. One yellow pill I have to pop goes to my heart so it won't stop. A little white one that I take goes to my hands so they won't shake. The blue ones that I use a lot tell me I'm happy when I'm not The purple pill goes to my brain and tells me that I have no pain. The capsules tell me not to wheeze or cough or choke or even sneeze. The red ones, smallest of them all, go to my blood so I won't fall. The orange ones, very big and bright, prevent my leg cramps in the night. Such an array of brilliant pills, helping to cure all kinds of ills. But what I'd really like to know is what tells each one where to go. Let's go back to the land of fences and wingnuts, where it's too hot to think clearly. Beautiful Arizona. Sheriff's deputies raided two Sizzler Steakhouse restaurants in Phoenix recently, arresting nine employees who were suspected of being illegal immigrants and using fraudulent documents to get jobs. Well, that is against the law, okay? The raids were part of a year-long investigation into whether the operators of the two Sizzler locations broke a civil law by knowingly hiring illegal immigrants This according to Maricopa Sheriff's uh, spokesman, Lieutenant Brian Lee. Deputies were looking for 23 suspects wanted for identity theft, Lee said. Authorities believe one of the suspects was deported three times and has been hired back by Sizzler each time he returned. I've been away. I've I've been just taking a little time to think things through, but I'm back. The sheriff's office received a tip from a former Sizzler manager who claimed he had been fired because he wouldn't hire employees with improper documents. This is another example of a case where desperately needed jobs are being occupied by illegal aliens who have disregarded our laws and our borders, said Sheriff Joe Arpaio said in the statement. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, and I don't care. By the way, Sheriff, you are completely wrong. There are no Anglos standing in line for these jobs, you know, because there are no jobs on TV working in the Sizzlers. There is no cultural support for these jobs. The Anglos won't take them. It's a diss. Arpeo, known for pushing the bounds of how local law enforcement agencies can confront Ill- illegal immigration, frequently raids workplaces in the greater Phoenix area for people in the U.S. illegally. Here's the question. Where's the story of this good sheriff knocking on the corporate doors of Sizzler? 
Isn't it illegal for Sizzler? Didn't we just read that it's illegal for them to hire people without proper documentation? What are they thinking? Well, I didn't know, man. It's not our problem. That that that, that Xerox piece of paper looked like looked like the real thing to me. You know, jump on the undocumented. Don't jump on the fat cats because they can jump back. Oz comes to a close, but we don't wrap it up without a poem. This one's not about spring, though, right? No, no. Um, there's only so many spring poems, and summer is coming really soon. So I'll get into the Chinese summer poems pretty soon. But, you know, poets like to write poems for other poets, and poets do like to pal around. The same thing was true back in the 8th century. And Li Po wrote this one for his good friend, Tu Fu. On Boiled Rice Mountain... I met Tu Fu, wearing a big, round bamboo hat in the hot noon sun. Tu Fu, how come you've grown so thin? You must be suffering from too much poetry. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really, really good. Suffering from too much poetry. Well, if you've been listening to Oz, maybe you're suffering from that ailment. It's the Oz team that's giving you that affliction. Peter Bergman, your host. Same moi, David Osman, my co-host. Scott Wilde is our social media guru. Bill McIntyre produces us. Dave Maloney records us. Chaz Glass crunches our numbers. Tom Gedwillow keeps the website happening. Phil Fountain makes it pretty. And John Cumming, well, he makes sure the ones and zeros fall in the right place. See you tomorrow, if there is a tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>